it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 616 for November 18th, 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is the inimitable Don McAllister, owner of the amazing Screencast Online Tutorial Podcast, or as I like to call him, Boss Man. Hey, Don, how are you doing? <laughs> Hi, Alison. I'm fine, thank you. Uh, it's been a long time. We've been on a, on a, a proper podcast together, but uh, it's always always good to, 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 to chat with you. Yay. So um, let's do full disclosure here. The reason I called Don Boss is because I actually work for him on Screencast Online. So uh, there's pretty much as much conflict of interest in doing this recording as you could possibly imagine. Um, but the reason I wanted to get Don on this time is because I, I wanted him to talk about the things that he does to constantly improve and expand the way he's running his business from a technical standpoint and from a staffing standpoint. And it's been I, I, I described you this morning to Steve um, as as almost to a fault. You love to optimize things. Would that be a good description? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's just it's an ongoing process, and and I know I know you in jest you call me, but I don't feel like I'm your boss. <laughs> it's very much a collaborative. <laughs> it's a collaborative uh, sort of venture with 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 all the different presenters and contributors, and and the post production staff as well that we we have. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's been an ongoing process, really, um, really to standardize. Um, you know the, the 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 final product because obviously with video encoding it can get quite messy sometimes. So I've always wanted to try and sort of standardize uh, not just the, the the quality of the content but also the way we, we produce how we how we turn the handle and the sausage pops out the other end. You know the the whole mechanism of of, of pushing things through um, because it's uh, it's a regular service. You know we 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 sort of uh, publish two shows every week um, and we we try and make sure that it goes out on a Tuesday and a, and a Friday. So you know there are so deadlines to be met and uh, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a machine. So you know that's 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 the whole sort of ethos behind uh, all the different bits of um, automation and and scripting and stuff that I do. Let's back up just a little bit and mm -hmm. give the elevator speech on what Screencast Online is, just to make sure everybody who's listening knows exactly. Sure, what yeah, yeah. Um, well, we we started back, I think it's fourteen years ago now, when wow. it was just me on the Todd. It was a, originally a hobby podcast. Um, I mean, I've I've told this story many times, so apologies if if your listeners have heard this before. But basically, I, I was a PC guy up till that point. Um, I worked in corporate IT, uh, had very little exposure to Apple and and Macintoshes. I had seen one or two. Um, we did uh, procure a, a system for our design department when I worked in uh, for a government department. So, so I actually saw the kit coming in. But once it was installed and signed off, we didn't really see that. Um, we never saw, you know, Mac laptops in, in meetings or anything within the IT space because at that time, you know, all those years ago, it really wasn't – it hadn't penetrated very much into, into the UK uh, other than on the graphics and the sort of cliched, you know, the artistry side of things, mm -hmm. the creative side. So – so, um, and I'd sort of become a bit disillusioned about uh, what was happening uh, with the PC market. So I actually did get into into the Mac at that point, and I uh, I turned uh, my hobby, which was to create screencasts to show people how to use the Mac. Uh, we didn't have the iPad or the iPhone then, uh, in the form of a screencast, which is basically just um, uh, an, an animation 
um, a, a screen capture of uh, your desktop with a narration on top. And then it went from being a, a hobby podcast to uh, to a full-fledged business, which it is now. And now we encompass uh, two weekly shows. So we have a, a tip show, although it's, it's strictly not a tip show these days. It's, it's meant to be a short form video, which could be a tip or it could be a review of a, an iOS or, or Mac app. Um, so we do that on a Tuesday. And then on the Friday, uh, we have a full-blown video tutorial, which is normally around, say, 35 to 50 minutes long, sometimes a bit longer, uh, occasionally a little bit shorter. But that's more of a full-form video uh, where we delve a bit more into either services or applications or anything to do with, with Apple-related uh, products, really. And that's in the form of videos. They go out. Uh, there's a Screencast Island website where people can sign up as members and get access to the video content there. Uh, we also have several dedicated apps. So we have um, an iOS app. Um, which allows members to both uh, view and download the the tutorials. Uh, we also have an Apple TV app as well, which is a great way to consume video content. You know, people can actually look at the videos on the Apple TV. And then the final thing is we have uh, a magazine, which again, you contribute to every month, um, which is um, a digital magazine that's available on the iPad and the iPhone. And that goes out once a month. And it contains all the content that we've created in the previous month, along with articles, hints and tips from various contributors as well in written form. Wow. That's a long elevator ride. <laughs> we well, didn't so, say you didn't say which building it was. So, <laughs> so the uh, uh, just to make it clear, this is a subscription service, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. It used to be. Originally, it was a free service, but um, because it became my livelihood, I had to turn it into a, a membership. It, it did take a while, actually. It wasn't like um, a switch. Uh, it took a couple of years before I sort of migrated from producing free content to this sort of membership system that we have now. Uh, occasionally, some shows are produced for free, um, but invariably, it's um, most of the content, if not, you know, sort of 98 percent of the content is meant for the membership Right, right. And I, I think one of the th interesting things you said many years ago was that people will pay for training. And that's really what this is, right? We're learning. This is, I am learning a skill. It's not entertainment. I mean, my, my video tutorials are entertaining, but you of know, in course, general, it's, uh, it's instructional, <laughs> right? Yeah, it is instructional. And, you know, it, it's, it's not been easy, but it's a lot easier to monetize something where people can have perceived value. Um, and entertain and entertainment is valuable. You know, I subscribe to several uh, podcasts. I've got several Patreon uh, subscriptions to various types of podcasts. But in the early days, um, you, you know, all content was free. Basically, there was very, very few uh, internet-based services that would be a subscription-based service. So, because it is educational um, because it is informative you know people perceive a value to that and they're more willing to pay for that but also um, it's it's now grown to an extent whereby you know one of the one of the big things that I have uh, problems with really is people sort of expecting that they each show every week or both shows every week should be relevant to them or yeah. or they should be able to you know watch both shows and get something from it every week and it's impossible to do that for everybody so what, what I try and say is you know yes you will find there will be quite a number of shows that are applicable to you and you'll have interest in. But, you know, don't sweat the ones that aren't because they'll be in the archive and then, you know, you can go in and, and sort of retrieve them whenever you want. I have said 
several instances, even last week, I think I mentioned the newsletter that, you know, people had seen a show come in uh, and just skipped it straight away and said, well, it's of no interest to me. And then, you know, a couple of months later, um, they actually subscribe to that service and they want to know how to use it. So they go back into the archive and they can pull it out that way. So it's really more of a resource. That actually um, made me feel better because I felt guilty about the ones where I was like, you know, project management software, nah, I don't care about that. And But I'd feel bad, like, oh, I should read them all, watch them all. <laughs> you know, I think we have this leftover guilt from when we used to read magazines and they would stack up and they would physically bother us. Hey, that's not what podcasting is about. Listen to the ones you want and don't to the ones you don't. You know, it's it's your your time, right? Exactly, exactly. And I, well, I, and I just don't want people to feel that, um, you know, they're not getting the, the, the value from the money that they're playing, paying as well. So sure. we do try and keep the topics you know, wide ranging. We try and keep it to all different skill levels as well, because, you know, a lot of the people who, who joined with me in the early days, you know, they've matured and they've uh, learned a ton of stuff over the years. And they're probably more confident now in, in what they do. So, you know, the older subscribers will, will drop away and the new subscribers will come in and, and have access to this, um, you know, this, this fantastic resource of all these different shows. Which I have to say is not just me. Well, it was just me in the early days, but obviously we've got people like yourself and and some other contributors now. So it's it's more of a, a team effort than it is just a, a single person. Yeah. So uh, okay, enough advertising done. Let's talk about the te- <laughs> let's talk about the technology. So when you started, it was what you and a laptop. Uh, pretty much. I mean, the very first machine I got was a Mac Mini. So it was me and a Mac Mini um, because that was the, the, you know, the, the, the easy way into the Mac environment. So yeah, me, a Mac Mini, uh, an old monitor that I had. And basically that was it. Um, yeah. You know, so then, USB so microphone. Then way at, we went. at some point you started uh, expanding this to in terms of your own hardware, like you, you were running a couple of different Macs at the same time. Yeah, I mean, eventually, I mean, it became uh, a way to fund my Mac addiction, you know, as, <laughs> as we went through. So, I mean, the Mac Mini was with me for quite a while um, because for the first six months, it was a, a free service anyway, and it wasn't generating any any revenue. Um, but you know, the the next Mac came out. I mean, to be honest, I've sort of lost track now of of all the different Macs mm-hmm. and MacBooks that I've had over the years. But yeah, I, I, I sort of tried to keep up to date with the latest hardware uh, for my own benefit as well, you know, because obviously when the new hardware comes out, encoding is quicker, uh, the machine's faster, more capacity, etc. So it, you know, it made sense to sort of keep on the cutting edge of what was coming out with the Mac. And I think pretty much since then I've uh, had pretty much every model of Mac. The, the only one I didn't have for quite a while was the iMac, but I finished, well, I, I now have an iMac Pro, so I've had the, the full full gamut now. Oh, okay. Okay. But so you started offloading uh, your work at some point in time between a couple of machines, right? You had you had a Mac Pro that you would run uh, the the actual rendering. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, eventually, what happened was I, I tended to to use a laptop as a dedicated screencast machine. So I'd set up the laptop and I'd I'd record the screencast on the laptop, and then I'd go across, I'd transfer the files across to the Mac Pro and do the editing and the the, the encoding. Uh, on that particular machine um that really although the mac pro um you know was was super quick um i don't generate a ton of content it's not like a um a studio where we're, we're generating hours and hours and hours of content so the encoding side of it and the power side of it really wasn't a factor um it, it was it was quite you know I, I didn't have to get sort of mega equipment there were there were times though when i had a couple of machines and i started to experiment with using clusters um so using compressor to encode the machines and and integrating or, or using um compressor nodes to try and build this uh, sort of like little mini grid of 
computers. Uh, but to be honest, that was more for the fun of it than than actually providing any <laughs> any productive output because you know I, I, the volume of of content uh, didn't really warrant a full render farm as it was. So uh, that was yeah, really just to as out of interest. I remember when you were visiting here once, though, that you were showing me how you had to create all these different versions of the file that that yes. because you were doing. You know, a 480p and a 720p and a 1080p, and you know mm-hmm. you, were, you were having to generate all of these, and that you had automated the creation of those. Yes, um, yeah. So, so basically, and and this has been you know for quite a while now that it's not just a single. There's sort of like a master file. Well, there are two files. There's a a master video file which is the full show, and that includes all the chapters, all the subtitles, etc. And then there is a preview file which is usually the first four or five minutes of a screencast, and then um, just some uh, standard. Uh, sort of message at the end, you know, advising people to go to the website and, and sign up if they can. Um, and but for those two files, we make let's see two versions of each file. So in total, there are sort of six files included within the production process. And again, this is going back to the consistency and and making sure things don't get missed out. Uh, I was using Handbrake. I still am actually use Handbrake to do the video encoding. And uh, Handbrake has a command line interface, so I was able to. Uh, painstakingly go in. It's not the most friendliest of command line um, interfaces, but over time I experimented with the various settings and then I found a setting uh, or a number of settings whereby I could script, you know, create a bash script that just add those two files in as input files and then the script would then run and produce the the, the final production files that were needed to uh, be sent on to my internet distribution service so uh, that was quite fun to do um, but again it, it's again it's consistency you know to be able to, f- to to put something in at the beginning and get the consistent files out the other, the other end encoded nicely with low bit rates so that they're, they're quite small and compact and uh, sort of automate the process really oh okay okay so it's, it's so uh, oh go ahead no, I'm going to say, and I still use that process now, although it's a little bit more sophisticated in that um, those bash scripts are now called by Apple scripts that do other things as well. But perhaps we can come on to that later. Oh, okay. Um, so at some point along the line, you decided um, I'm making enough money and I'm overworked and I would like to go on more vacations with Barbara. So I need to get <laughs> some help. And where did you branch out first? Um, if initially it was the post-production side of things. Um, so it was still, I, I still generated all the content. Of course, there's the website as well, which is a separate thing, you know, because um, initially it was just a Rapid Weaver website, mm. which I, I created. Uh, and Rapid Weaver is a fantastic application. Um, but of course, you know, lots of tweaks and things and getting involved with setting it up. Uh, and when I sort of looked at the membership side seriously, I realized that I needed something um, a bit more substantial to to handle how we take on board members and you know how the whole billing process works etc so initially again this this takes me back to um one of the first podcast expos that we did uh, over in i think this is one in ontario uh, years and years ago now so that must be about probably about 13 12 13 years ago oh, wow. and that, we'd we'd finish the the conference i think you, i think you and steve were at the conference and i was waiting to get a taxi back to the airport i was sitting in this uh, hotel or motel room in ontario and uh, there was a a very simple uh, script that allowed you to set permissions on a Unix folder on your on your server, and I basically cobbled together something to to handle access to where my shared folders were for for content, uh, and that was so rudimentary it's embarrassing now, but it worked, and you know that that started me off, and then eventually we ended up um, engaging 
after the Rapid Weaver website, um, we actually got a guy in to, to revamp the website and to integrate um, a membership system, which is called A Member, into a bespoke website. Um, so that's Jamie, Jamie Peake, who was the designer of that. And that's been with us now. We've had a one major revamp of it, um, but that's now uh, been going for probably seven or eight years now. And that's that's great. So that's all so sort of custom essentially built. like your first contract employee, if you would call him that. Yeah, well, yeah, well, services. yeah, sort of contracted service. Yeah, we have no full-time employees. It's just me who works full-time on Screencast Online. Um, and, and Barbara does a, a few bits and pieces, uh, so she works with me. But um, primarily, it's it's myself, or it was myself. So, yeah, I decided... The cast know, quite, of characters quite... is, getting, is getting pretty long, which is why I was intrigued in, in asking for this story, because uh, you sent out an email about some new uh, people joining the team, and it's now up mm-hmm. to, I think it was close to a dozen people. So yeah, there's it, quite a few. There's a lot of uh, bits and pieces that I actually don't know the answers to my questions. I know some of this, but uh, mm-hmm. at, at some point along the line, you started having uh, guest screencasters. Yes. And and that um, must have been interesting to, to how you get somebody to, to, again, provide this consistency that you're looking for. That's right. That's right. And one of the difficulties um, has always been because I started out as the, the sole um, contributor, uh, sort of people that become used to my voice and used to my delivery. And, you know, it was, uh, it was, they get a show every week and it would be me. Um, so mm-hmm. it was quite difficult to introduce new people in. And again, it's, it's not one of those things that I did overnight suddenly, you know, right. There's another four people here. It was a very gradual process just to bring one or two people in or, you know, once every six weeks or so, just, just introduce a guest and, uh, and see, uh, sort of, you know, test the water really to see how it goes. And I've, I've just slowly over probably the past four years, um, been bringing more people in to create more of the content because it's it's quite um it's quite an effort to produce you know that amount of video content every week uh, especially when you're starting from from scratch um yeah, so it, sure it takes the pressure more, off me you know i'm sure you're more efficient than i am but it takes me about a week you know a couple hours a day to just mm-hmm. develop the the flow the the mind map of what it is i'm going to try yeah. to teach and get everything in order and make sure i have the answers to the questions i need from the from the developer and then it usually takes me four or five days, maybe three or four hours a day to create that one video. And the yeah, idea of doing yeah. two a week, oh man, that's bananas. Or, <laughs> or even being able to think up what to that do is, a, is yeah, hard. That is one of the, that's one of the problems. And that's, that's one of the, you know, one of the more pressing issues of the day as well, you know, is, is what to cover. That's quite difficult um, to keep the content fresh and to keep it sort of varied as well, because we do want to keep it varied, uh, which in in some respects, bringing extra people in who've got different levels of expertise in different applications or familiarity with different applications. You know, we can bring them in on board and they can they can give their sort of uh, expert uh, eye over a certain application that they're familiar with and, and, and teach that. I mean, I'm quite lucky in that I can pick up things pretty quickly. Um, which is a skill that's probably a skill I already had, but you know, that I've owned over the years. Let's call it a talent because you can teach somebody (laughs) a skill. You can teach someone to use ScreenFlow and select sections of the video and cut it and efficiently make good cuts and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But a talent is, is something that's kind of ingrained and the thing that you bring to it that, that I envy. And I don't think I have quite to the level that you do is that you see things on screen that I just I just don't even see. I can't remember what okay. app it was, but I love to tell the story of there was an app that you did that I knew extremely well. I had been using it for mm-hmm. like five years 
and you grabbed a menu on the right-hand side of the screen. And I swear to you, I had never looked at the right-hand side of the screen. <laughs> it, it just simply wasn't even there. And you'll say, oh, by the way, if you hold down the option key and you click this and throw salt over your shoulder, did you know it does this? And it's like, mm. how do you find that, Don? But <laughs> I don't uh, know. that's a talent. I, that is yeah, and talent. I like doing that. I like exposing because I don't, you know, it doesn't it doesn't need to be completely dry. And what I also like to do is is try and put some either context around it or give people real life examples on how it can benefit them or or really give people an insight as to, you know, it, they might have seen something but not really understood what it might potentially be used for. So I, I like say to try a problem and, to be solved. <laughs> yes, you could say that. You could say that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's about. just you know, it's it's just one of those things. It's um, because I do delve quite deeply, and I can sort of flash through a, a, an application and get a feel for it. Um, because again, these, these shows, you know, the, the forty forty five minutes long, uh, you're never really going to. It's not. It's not like a pro level tutorial. It, it has always been intended to give people a, um, the the right amount of knowledge and confidence to go ahead and play with it in depth themselves. So occasionally we'll do two or three parters where we do go a little bit deeper if it's a very complex application. But the majority of the, of the, the videos really are, are just to give people uh, a leg up, basically, you know, get them yeah, started, make them aware of the, make them aware that the application even exists and what its potential uses could be. Um, and people find that to be quite a useful part of the service. It's sort of like a, a recommendation engine. I mean, we never really cover anything which you know I, I wouldn't recommend to anybody we've oh, only yeah, yeah. Uh, personally i've only covered like or, or try, started on two or three screencasts whereby I, I sort of got into it and thought nah i'm you know i'm not i can't put this out because there's there's too many bugs or it's too flaky or you know things like that so i know a few times i've had one of those where i get half where i've i've done all of the pre-work and i'm trying to get it to work <laughs> and it's like you know what this thing is terrible and, and yeah yeah yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, it's nice that you've gone through all that because you were much more sympathetic with like yeah i've walked a mile in those shoes. i've walked a hundred miles in those shoes yeah but, but well you got to be careful because you, you you can you know things go wrong i mean occasionally if you, you know something happens um you might just fix it in the edit or whatever but when you know something is fundamentally a bad application or yeah, is flaky yeah. you know you just you just can't put it out there really yeah. Yeah. So let's get back to the technical mm -hmm. thing. So so you you get contributors and the, the end of it that I know uh, from a, a, a screencaster is that we used to always keep our files in Dropbox. And one of the mm -hmm. advantages of that that you told me when we did it. So while we're creating this ScreenFlow uh, document, which is the the fantastic application for creating screencasts is we would keep it in Dropbox because then you said at the end you didn't have to wait for this giant file to upload because it was just doing changes. But somewhere yes. along the line, that ScreenFlow came back, or Telestream, the makers of ScreenFlow, came back and said, whatever you do, don't work inside Dropbox. Right? Yeah, this is the well. We still use Dropbox uh, for the final versions of the files, but what we say is that um, uh, copy a file out of Dropbox, work on it, then put it back in Dropbox. Because when you work on a ScreenFlow file, um, once you've created all the media, say it's a three gigabyte file, you know, two point eight of that is the media, which doesn't change, and the other part of it is the is the editing bit. Um, so uh, basically, what will happen is if you copy it out edit the file and then put it back in Dropbox. It's only those changes to the editing part that uh, actually get re-uploaded to Dropbox because the media is already in Dropbox. Um, it, it won't actually need to transfer that again because it'll see that those files haven't changed. So that's a really efficient way of, of passing um, big files around uh, using Dropbox. So I haven't actually been doing it that way. And and this brings up a, a, a problem that I have is trying to find something, some location on my drive that is not being synced 
to Dropbox, Google Drive, iCloud. So I've got my <laughs> documents and desktop are all in iCloud. And then I got my all my I, I used to have all my ScreenFlow stuff all, was all in Dropbox. And then um, mm-hmm. and I've got uh, Google Drive running around. And, and I actually had to make these stupidly named folders like, uh, you know, I was working on draw.io last week and it's draw.io, not the real folder, but the one you're supposed to work in, you know, it's, <laughs> right, it's, okay. because I've got yeah, another well, folder that's got the real one in it. Yeah. Well, I tend to, um, the way I, I sort of do it is to have a separate partition. I have a data partition and this also is great for if you have to rebuild the machine, it doesn't touch your, you know, your work files. So I have, um, a Dropbox folder, which is being synced with, with Dropbox all the time. Then I have a, a, a replication of that folder in my data partition. And then I just use ChronoSync to do, uh, constant, uh, copies between both files or rather both, both folders. Oh, that's so I have like a remote jobs folder, um, in my data partition and a remote jobs folder in Dropbox. And then I only ever work, in fact, the only one I see on my desktop because I drag a link to the remote files uh, to the sidebar. And I know that's the the copy that's in, da- in the data partition. So I can work on that merrily. And any changes that get made, uh, Chronosync will just sync that with Dropbox as I'm working. And, and, and then the Dropbox version gets synced with Dropbox and other people can access them in that way. So that's, that's the best way I've found to sort of get around that particular problem. So you don't have to physically start copying things around. You just have a, rep, uh, a replicate of that particular folder in a, in a static partition. And then hmm. just sync sync it with Chronosync each, you know, I, in fact, I, I think I sync it like once every 10 minutes because I'm, the last thing I, 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 I hate having to re-record things and losing data. So yeah, I make sure I, I back it up to Dropbox every 10 minutes or so. Wow. Okay. So maybe I need to re- rethink that whole uh, strategy mm-hmm. I'm doing because I'm only saving it out. Like after I do maybe three or four hours of recording, I'll, I'll make a copy of it and shove it over into Dropbox. So I'll end up with, you know, half a dozen copies of the entire thing over in Dropbox right. by the time I'm done. Um, okay. Well, what I tend to do now, though, is is I will. So if I'm if I'm doing a screencast, I'll I'll record the screencast and then I'll save it directly into my uh, data partition. So the folder that's on the data partition, and that will then replicate to Dropbox even as I'm recording. So you know, this so should always be a current. Isn't that the same as working in Dropbox? How have you not? No, it's it's it seems to work okay. We don't have any particular issues. It's only for some reason if you actually it's work actually on the, the actual it. file itself, yeah, open the file in Dropbox. That seems to uh, cause a few problems. Interesting. Okay, so we've got we've got people now. You've got you've got some staff around the around the globe making these screencasts. Uh, brilliant people like me, uh, and we're all uh, we all put things into Dropbox, but we also have this this whole patio thing that you've created. Maybe talk a little bit to how that works and what it does for keeping things automated. And then we got to bring in all the post-production people because I don't know anything sure. about that part. <laughs> okay. Well, it's actually, it's, it's called Podio, apparently. I've always called it Podio, but oh. the, the, it should be called, it's called Podio. Um, hmm. uh, Rob, who who's one of the post-production guys, is, his wife has actually met the um, the inventor of Podio and apparently it is called Podio, but oh, no. uh, I'll probably slip into calling it Podio anyway, but it sounds okay. better Podio myself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is, I mean, it's not a podcast specific thing. It's a, it's a business uh, system. Uh, it's actually been acquired by Citrix. Oh. So it's part of the Citrix group of companies now. And it enables you to 
create business processes or to create workflows that uh, sort of map onto and support your business. So we use it for sort of scheduling. So, you know, there's a distinct number of jobs that have to be done on a show uh, from scheduling the show to uh, creating the folders that um, the eventual files end up in. Again, because we script so much that each project has a definitive folder structure. So we know where everything should be and where things get filed and where things get copied across. So there's a job that requires somebody to set up that folder structure, even though that is automated, still needs to be done. Um, then there is, you know, the, the recording side of things. That's a specific job. There are certain things that people have to do. There are certain bits of information that people have to give us along with the recording. So within Podio, we, we actually have a, a record that you're familiar with where you fill in, you know, where the link to the file is, what the show description is, what tags should be used. And that all goes into Podio. And then once that job is completed, um, that moves the entire process onto the next stage. Uh, the nice thing is if you, there's various statuses that you can assign within a record. So say you're going through the recording process, you'll accept it to say that you've seen it and I'll get a notification about that. And then when you start working on it, you'll change it to in progress. That can automate an email saying it doesn't, but it can um, saying that Alison has started recording, you know, this particular show. And, and then you nice might, because you don't have to keep, you know, you don't have to yeah, write to us yeah. and go, Hey, did you start yet? Don't forget to sure. start, you know, just yeah, so yeah. you have this situational awareness of where we are in the projects. Yeah, and, and there are some nice sort of views so you can at a glance have a look at all the shows in the in the production pipeline and see at what status they're at and who's actually working on something at any one time. Um, but there's there's lots of automation. There's another. Can, can I stop you right there for a second? Yeah, Let, sure. Yeah. It, so that view is great for you because you can see all of the projects going on. But I find it really hard in Podio, no, wait, Podio to find yeah. my record, the one I'm supposed to be working on. So if you watch my videos closely, whenever I have Safari up, you'll see one one bookmark in the bookmarks bar, and it's Podio, Allison, click here. Because <laughs> right. I can okay. never find it. All <laughs> so right, well, I, we I need to bookmark right into it. No, we need to do something about that then, because there is a way, uh, and I've only really just, I mean, JF is um, the supervising editor, so he uh, touches all the shows. And what I've discovered is, I mean, because I'm familiar with the application, I've spent a lot of time customizing my home screen so I can see what's going on. Um, but you can do that for each individual person. So oh. we could set up a home screen for you, which just showed you the recording jobs that you, you're working on or are in the pipeline for you. So perhaps we can do that um, later on. It's, it's pretty easy to set up. It's like a custom view. And then you can just assign that to your home screen. So when you go into Podio, you can actually see at a glance exactly what's been assigned to you and, and jump straight to it. So yeah, yeah we can, we can I get fix in that. there and all of a sudden I'm looking at the magazine. You know, I don't, I, right, I get lost right. and, and, and I lose. But I, I might be the only slow one on the team. You don't, you don't go no, a lot after. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 a, literally a five minute job to sort that out. So we'll we'll do that offline. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. So we you mentioned JF. That's JF Brissett. So he <laughs> he's the first one who sees my files. Is that right? Or is yeah. There somebody well, else in between. No, no, no. Uh, JF will. Well, the way it stands now, we have. Um, post-production assistants who will set up the folder structure, then that will send the job to the recording presenter. You'll do all your bits and then you'll send it off and then JF will see it. So he's the first one to actually see the content. And he goes through, uh, does a first pass of the, the video, make sure that everything is is fine, make sure that the audio is fine, um, looks out for any inconsistencies or, you know, 
bits that might uh, need re-recording if there's any vocal flubs because it's very easy to record something and you know make a mistake and then forget to go back and edit it so he'll sort of identify all those bits if he can fix them he'll fix them and then move on to what we call the assembly edit um by the way i would some... like to say one of my favorite days was the first time i got a video through jf without him having to have me re-record anything <laughs> it was like I know, yeah, yeah 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 it's, it's a big a, day yeah, it's a, Saves a lot of time. But and, but and as you really say, if, if it does need re-recording. Pardon? He's very good at teaching, which is good because I want to yeah. learn to do this better. I don't yeah. want somebody fixing it for me every single time. I'd rather, why don't you make me better at this so that uh, I can get through these, uh, through on this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he's very, very good at that, actually. And because he, he, he won't just send things back. He'll send them back with an explanation of why he thinks and how it could be made better. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, people get a lot of value out of that. So, but as you say, you know, as people get more experience, they don't, they doesn't tend not to have to go back to him. But if it does, there is another sub process or a loop within Podio that enables the file to go back, changes made, and then back to JF. So at the moment, he he does the assembly edit, which is basically topping and tailing, um, putting like a standard intro and a standard uh, outro on, um, sorting out the chapters, uh, until we get to the point whereby it's a, a finished video, a finished screen flow video that uh, is ready to go through onto the next stage of the production process. So let me stop you there. Uh, one of the things that uh, for the audience is as we're working in creating a video, if you hit the uh, what the back tick, I think it is, it it pops up a little uh, little window and you can type in a name of a chapter and that tells JF where the important bits are. And then what he's creating is those fly-in things that that yeah, sort the, of putting the labels in. Yeah, yeah. So we'll and we'll we'll perhaps add additional chapters or take some out if we feel that there are too many and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just, and it's in the final video, it's a way of people being able to navigate to the different chapters. If they want to go straight to a particular subject or topic area, they can jump straight to a chapter. Yeah. I've always wondered whether I'm putting in too many or too few, but I figure if I put in too many, they're easy to take out. It's harder to find good spots for stuff if you don't know where everything is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's, you know, it's useful for navigation. Um, I mean, sometimes there might be a chapter, but we won't do a flying thing because there was only one thirty seconds ago. So we'll just leave the chapter marker in so people can navigate to it. But it's not um, oh, sort oh, of in the face every time. Oh, I never thought of that. So you can jump chapter mm-hmm. to chapter with the skip thing to go right yeah. to it, but you don't have to see it. Not really. Yeah. Not really. No. I got you. Yeah. OK, those are two different things. I didn't th- <laughs> thought about that. OK, so he's topped and tailed it. He's fixed. He's told me all the places that I, I said, uh click and or tap instead of click like he wanted me to <laughs> he never won that argument i say I, I always say tap because i'm using a trackpad and he said no you have to say yeah. click i said but i'm not clicking i can't think click when i'm not clicking <laughs> anyway, i know it's difficult it is difficult we have fun and he said how about click or tap i said no <laughs> that's no. the only argument i ever i, I ever won um mostly just because i didn't do it but anyway so okay so he's he's topped and tailed it now what what has to happen after that it's done it's perfect Oh, well, so much happens. <laughs> this, I literally so do not do. know what else happens. What all, What are all these okay. people doing? Right. Well, from from that point on, um, and I've just revamped the scripting, actually, so it's a little bit more automated than it was. But basically, we have to export from, from ScreenFlow, and that creates the master file. So there's a little batch process that will go ahead and export the file into an MP4 file. Wait, wait, wait. Um, then a- so ScreenFlow supports batch processing? There, well, it's, it doesn't do it from the command line, unfortunately, but you can uh, batch export uh, using the ScreenFlow interface. Oh, okay. So rather, 
so rather than going into the into the video and and using the export command you can specify the file that you want to export and the preset and do it that way and you can technically uh, put in a list of videos if you want but we we tend to just do it one at a time but again consistency and making sure the things are in the right place we use the the batch export feature okay all right Okay, um, then it gets passed to a script which exports a small resolution or a low resolution version of the file with the audio, and that goes into Dropbox, and that gets picked up by uh, an organization called Rev, rev.com. So they have some um, APIs and integration with Zapier um, that allows, a one, once we put a particular file into a particular folder, um, it gets taken to them for transcription. So they uh -huh. will go ahead and transcribe the file and create the, the 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 SRT file, which in effect is the caption file, so the subtitles for the for the process. And but that's all done by were, a third party. You were very you were very forward thinking in putting in um, the subtitles long before that was de rigueur. I mean, I think oh, yeah. you, you really just looked at it and said, well, why wouldn't I want more audience members, right? Why wouldn't yeah, I want yeah. to accommodate these people so that I get more people with my service? That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many it does actually, you know, how much it impacts. But I think this day and age, well, I mean, this is going back like probably 10 years, nine, 10 years ago, we started to do it. I mean, we did it the hard way in the initial time. We, we we got someone to actually transcribe it into a block of text. And then we'd use an application called Movie Captioner and we'd manually go through and put all the oh. breaks in, you know, so that oh. that was that was a big, big job of work. <laughs> when I was uh, when I was working, I did um, screencasting with. Um, oh, what is what is the other the the only pretty much the only competitor to ScreenFlow? Um, oh, that the um, I can't remember the name of it. Worst piece of software I've Camtasia. ever. Camtasia. Camtasia. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't think it's terrible on the Mac, but on Windows, it was the most headbangingly horrible, awful piece of software I have in my entire life ever used. It was just now th this is like ten years ago. But one of the things it could do was you could type in a script and you could say, okay, you could basically play the video. And you could like hit the space bar and it would break and it would break and it would break. Right. So, so that part was automated, but I had to type in my own script and my own voice. It was horrific. It was, <laughs> and it wasn't, that wasn't the fault of the software. Just trying to transcribe what you're saying is just, I, I'd rather like never speak again than have mm. to do that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, the rev, the nice thing with rev, I think it costs like a dollar a minute or something. It's really cheap to do. There's no no reason why people who do videos that they can't get them captioned these days. Wow, that's really inexpensive. Is that it's human very, very... Tra human transcription? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, wow. it's a human transcription. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, and the the turnaround's pretty good as well. If we do a tip video, which is you know seven or eight minutes long, uh, we'll get the 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 subtitles back, not just the transcription, but the the captions, um, you know, time stamped captions back uh, within the same day. If it's a, a full you know, 40 minute, 50 minute, it probably takes um, 48 hours to get that back. Oh, but again, it's not just a transcription. Done. Yeah, <laughs> that's slave labor. A dollar a minute. Yeah, <laughs> Some, oh. I'm sure it's something it's in it's in that region. It's not expensive at all. Not wow. expensive. They wow. do do an automated um, uh, version, which is even cheaper. It's something like 10 cents a minute or something. But then you, you do have to go in. Saying that, though, you know, even the human one, it's not 100 percent accurate. One of the JF's jobs is to get the 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 captions back and to validate them. So he oh, goes wow. through and reads through and makes any corrections and feeds back to Rev if the, because they use lots of different uh, transcribers, you know, you get good ones and bad ones. So <clears throat> we, we try and ferret out the bad ones. If we, if we tell them that someone's a bad one, we don't ever use them again. So, and they do that as part of the service. So oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the only way they're going to know, right? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mind you, they don't give us a refund. They have done once or twice, but, um, you know, we just let them know that they have a rating system. If you give them less, three stars or less, um, you'll never use that. Cap- they'll never put that captioner on your projects again. So oh, okay. that's the way they weed them out. Oh, that's it. That's a good one. <clears throat> So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an Uber-like thing. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So the the transcription file comes back, and then does he have to uh, import that? Now is that into well, not back into ScreenFlow at this point, right? No. Well, at this point, I mean, the the transcription file might take another two days to come back. So the the process carries on in the absence of that. Mm, okay. So so basically, that would be um, the Rev file gets created and sent off to Rev, and then the we mentioned before the four different versions of the file. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they will get generated uh, automatically using the uh, handbrake command line interface, um, but not with the subtitles because obviously we haven't got the the captions. Um, so that gets generated, and then the preview file. So again, this preview file. So this is slightly about face. So the preview file gets created first. So. Um, a utility that um, Simon, uh, one of the developers that has worked me, with me in the past, he created a little uh, application that would take the first four minutes of the main video and a second video, which is the, the screencast online advert, let's say. And then he, he, he will merge them together within his application. So the preview file actually gets generated automatically. Oh, um, then, okay. then, then we create the four versions that go up to Libsyn. Okay, and hang, then on, it, hang on. Yeah. I thought you did a batch export out of ScreenFlow, but now, well, now that, we're back that's to the main. Yeah, that's the main file. So that's the full video. Okay, okay that's so just one we, file. We, that's just one file. Okay, and then it so gets we transcoded cre- with with Handbrake. Yeah. Oh, okay, uh, okay. It gets transcoded the first time to create the Rev file, and then that goes off to Rev for them to do the transcription. And then the preview file is then created, and that's created automatically as part of the script. So it will truncate the video around about the four-minute mark. It's actually on the third chapter break. It will truncate it there, and then it will add this external video in to create a brand-new preview video. Oh, I so always we have wondered to- how you decided where to stop it. Third chapter break, okay. Third chapter, yeah. So if you want to keep something in, making sure it's in there before the third chapter and not get in the preview. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't happen, in which case we, we manually put in an end of preview third chapter point so that we can we can break it at that point. Okay. <laughs> so we've got two files now, the main file and the main exported file and the preview file. Then we generate the four different resolutions that are needed without the screen without the captions because they're not available yet. And then um, at the end of that process we get um, a, a pre, a, like a summary file which describes all the chapters. It describes the file lengths. It describes the uh, durations of the files. And that's just spit out into a text file. And this is a bit problematic. We then have to copy and paste that information into Airtable because we use Airtable as like an intermediate database for some of the information. Um, and we use Airtable a lot with Zapier to do a, a further level of automation with the, the uh, contextual information around the show. So. What is uh, what is that contextual information used for? Well, things. Uh, well, it's for creating things like the RSS feed um, oh. uh, for populating because um, we need the file length, we need the duration for the RSS feed right. that gets generated on the website. Um, we also have the chapter list uh, ex- extracted in text format with uh, asterisks at the beginning, so we can use them in a markdown file to display the chapters in the description because we don't retype the chapters; they're extracted from the video file right. and. Uh, appended to the end of the description. So that's all handled within um, Airtable. So we use like formulas within Airtable to take bits of information, concatenate them together um, to move on to the next stage. Oh, that's kind of cool. Except for the cutting Mm -hmm. and copying and pasting part. 
Yeah, it, it, we've got around that in some instances, but there's still one or two places where we have to copy and paste. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll banish that eventually. <laughs> By the way, remember <laughs> what I said up front about uh, about optimization to a fault. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it might take me three weeks, but we'll get there. You know? <laughs> well, this is a problem as well, you know, because it is it's a simple process that takes like 20 seconds to copy and paste because we can create a view within a table with just the fields that we need to populate. So it's literally, you know, 20 seconds to do it but it still irritates that uh, and it, oh, it, it's right. also a cause of uh, you know a potential cause of inconsistencies as well oh, by yeah. doing manual copy pasting i spent three weeks working on a bash script that uh adds my id3 tags to my vi- to my uh podcast files and that saves me almost seven seconds a week yeah <laughs> so my roi is sometime in 2022 on that one but it was way more fun than copy paste copy paste copy yeah, paste. yeah, yeah it's just yeah. it's tedious and you're right it's it's uh it's error prone as soon as your little fingers are in there messing around right you forget mm-hmm. something you do it oh wrong. that's right that's right yeah but again once once that's done um well two things happen well two two actions happen basically uh, and I have to get this right. Yeah, there's a within Podio, an action is triggered when. Let's see, how is it? How does it work? It's when a status changes. Um, Airtable will or Zapier, which is a bit of a glue that integrates many different web systems together. Zapier will extract information from the Podio record, so and then populate the Airtable record automatically. So there's no that used to be a copy and paste, but now that's that's information sucked out of Podio. I'm going to call it Podio. I can't keep okay. calling it Podio all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's so Zap- Zapier, you're saying looks at Podio and and takes the records and and changes things over in Airtable right now yes. where it can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it, and it does that automatically. So it will extract the show description um, because the only things it doesn't can't do is is you know, interrogate the files to get the chapters, etc. So, but once that's available in the text file, that just gets copied and pasted across. But there's more information across in the Podio record, so Airtable will suck that across and uh, and populate the Airtable record itself. That's cool. And then that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's and it works really well. Um, once once it's working, it took a little while to to get it working consistently but it's working now so that's fine so once the Airtable record is fully populated with all this information uh, again Zapier then steps in and takes the information from Airtable and creates a record within the Screencast Online show database so which is a SQL um, database running on the, the Screencast Online server so that will create the show record so that includes all things like you know where, where the where the video files are going to be located in Libsyn, um, the show description, the chapters, the file length, the duration. So all this information that the 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 web page needs to build the show page, that's all taken from Airtable uh, using Zapier automatically. So again, no copy and pasting at that point. Wow, that so now I I've heard about Zapier, but I didn't you know I don't have a need for this level of automation. I don't think, but I had no idea it could do that. That's oh, we can really do all sorts. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's very good. So now at this point, we've got a show page, um, which hasn't, and the files haven't been uploaded yet, and we haven't got the icon file uploaded, etc. But the show page exists. So then we run another process, um, which is to generate, you know, those little tiles that we we use in social media and and on the the main page of the Screencast Online website and yeah. Uh, on yeah, yeah. So basically, again, Simon um, has created an application that goes ahead and. Uh, addresses the SQL database, pulls in the show information, like the show title and the duration, uh, pulls in the PNG file of the icon, and then assembles that little graphics in about four different variants 
Um, and that's all again, that's all done automatically. So there's no that the creation of the graphic is done via a script in effect after we've sent all the information across to the SQL database. Okay. Um so at that point we then upload the files. So because we've got everything we need, we've got the four versions of the file. We haven't got the subtitles yet, but we've got the show icons, we've got um, some of the other supplementary things, uh, sort of like a HTML file with uh, placeholders for where the transcription is going to go, um, all the tiles for the Apple TV, for the, the Screencast Online website, stuff like that. That all gets uploaded to Libsyn. And again, we do that programmatically. So we run a script. We, it knows the script knows where everything should be, and there's some error checking there in case things haven't you know worked. Um, but basically, it takes those files and sends them to all the relevant services. So we use Libsyn for the main video files, and then there are certain areas on the Screencast Online website side that need to be populated to build the show page correctly. So that upload is done programmatically as well. So once it sounds like once JF has has checked the um, check the video out. I don't see where there's humans intervening at all here. Well, that's the first thing in the post-production process. Sorry, when when the file is exported, uh, the first task is for the post-production person to go through and review the file. Right. So they can they can then flag any issues. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and that gets sort of carried across with the the Podio record. Um, at this point, we've uploaded all the files. Uh, they go in. There's some other services we need to update as well. There's a thing called. Um, TV Cade, which we have a, a thing called the SEO Showcase app, which is an app that allows people who aren't members to go in and buy individual uh, episodes if they want. You know, it's like a, an in-app purchase thing for each video. Uh, so that needs to be set up. And again, that's mainly a manual process. Um, there's also YouTube as well. We have a YouTube channel. So the previews, um, again, I've just introduced some Zapier integration. So now the uh, YouTube videos are uploaded to YouTube automatically by Zapier, but we still have to go in and just make a couple of minor changes to the YouTube record. So that gets done. And once that's finished, it goes to what's called final sign off. And that's where Rob, um, who's been with us for a long time, uh, he will actually get the show. He'll check the show page. He'll check for any errors on the show page. But he also will do like a third check of the video to make sure that everything is OK. And there are some feedback loops if there are problems found that will go back to the relevant people. What I love about this whole process is, and then ScreenFlow will have just done some really bizarre thing with the transitions to make them slow down where they take a minute and a half, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. Well, that should be picked up at the export stage, to be honest, because once, yeah, once if it happens in the first export and we catch it, we can we can fix it. It's normally okay, but yeah, I mean, in the past, it used to do things like green flashes would just appear in the middle yeah. of the video for some reason, and it's getting yeah, more these stable, slow transitions, think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to be, seems to be. So, of course, we've got ScreenFlow 9 has just come out now, which I'm just starting to take a look at. I'm sure it introduces new challenges. But, yeah, but we're still not finished because we, although it's it's signed off, it's signed off without the captions. So at this point, or just after this point, the captions will come in. So JF will then go in and uh, validate the captions. And then there's another process whereby those files, uh, once, the, once the subtitles are available, he will re-export the files. And then that's it then. It's, it's ready wait, to go at that point. Wait, he re-exports the file? Wait, what files? The video the, files? The original files, yeah, because they've been, well, the issue is they've been exported once, so they could be published at that point if they've all checked out without the captions. Because sometimes in the past, captions have been delayed, and what we don't want to do is delay the publication of the video. So we export them the first time, and then just in case the captions don't come through in time for the publication date. Invariably, they do, 
in which case they just get uh, re-exported and re-uploaded. It's, it's not really a, an onerous thing to do, to be honest. It's, it's all scripted. So once the, the, the validated, they're just placed in an area, hit a button, so, so re- on. re-encoded. How do, how do the captions get attached to the video? Does that happen in ScreenFlow? No, that happens in Handbrake. So the command line interface to Handbrake allows us to add uh, subtitles to the output videos. Okay, so, so re- the recreating of that that those files is done in uh, in Handbrake. You're never yes. back in ScreenFlow yeah. again. No, 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 no. Once we've got the final export file, that's it. ScreenFlow is then out. Although you can, uh, there are there are facilities within ScreenFlow for uh, doing subtitles and then embedding them. But um, no, it's all done via Handbrake from that point on. So now that's interesting. So you've uploaded the files to Libsyn. You've managed to figure out a way to programmatically uh, re-upload the files to Libsyn without uh, yeah. having to touch that horrible interface? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's basically there's a separate folder in Libsyn called, unfortunately, called Dropbox. It's got nothing to do with Dropbox, but there's a public folder. So the first time you upload them, you upload them to the public folder. If you want to replace those files on Libsyn, you upload them to the Libsyn Dropbox folder. And when it sees a file already exists, it will overwrite the the original file. Oh, you got to show so you, me that because every when I ever I make a mistake, it, it's like an oh 45 minutes for me to figure out how to get rid of that one I had and put a new one in its place. Oh, no, it's all automatic. You just literally just instead of pointing it to the because we use FTP to upload to Libsyn. So instead of using, um, you know, your account name slash public, you just upload it to account name slash Dropbox. And once it goes into the Dropbox folder, you don't have to do anything. It will just it will just replace. Oh, I didn't know that all this time. I've been opening up a web browser, going to Libsyn.com, logging in. And then sitting there staring at this arcane interface, trying to figure out which of the buttons will allow me to d- delete it and start yeah. over again. And it, 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 it only happens like twice a year. So every time it's a new adventure. Mm-hmm. Because if you do try to upload to public again and the file exists, it will complain. It will send you an email saying, oh, nope, no, nope, can't do that. We've already yep. got a file with this name. Yeah. But upload yeah, it to Dropbox, week. to the Dropbox folder and that's fine. So one of the challenges for the to tell the audience is that Libsyn, normally when you FTP to your server, you say, I would look to put the file here and you tell it where mm-hmm. you want it to be. But with Libsyn, you put it somewhere and then it suddenly disappears from that yes. somewhere and it goes into some completely arcane place. You don't know where it is. And the when they started doing that, that's when I started really hating them. I mean, I still use yeah. them, but it's just like, oh, why did you make that so hard? No, it is a great service. I mean, I've never been able to to, to carry on with Screencast Online, if I'm honest, because um, if people aren't familiar, Libsyn, basically they charge you a flat rate for a certain amount of storage each month, um, So, which is brilliant. You, it, it's not metered on the amount of bandwidth that your content is downloaded yeah, by. So your cost so, is predictable. Whether yes, you like yeah. that cost or not, is a, you can decide mm-hmm. that for yourself. But you know, sure, sure. somebody described it to me early on as saying, you don't suddenly get, uh, at the time it was slash dot was the big deal. They said, you don't get slash dotted and all of a sudden you owe a house payment, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, yeah, and that's, that, that was a you know serious consideration in the early days. Uh, people didn't want to get too popular because they couldn't afford the downloads. Yeah, but uh, Libsyn took that all that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been using them forever. I, I shouldn't keep hating on them. Nothing's gone wrong for like four years. But I, <laughs> I'm, I'm still <laughs> mad at them for a couple of things where it, but, it, it, yeah. it, something broke on a Sunday night, which is when I published my show. And their uh-huh. answer back was, well, we don't work on the weekends. Okay. Squeeze me? You're you're an international web service and you don't work on the weekends. You don't get to pick that. 
they probably. But that FTP know. disappearing file thing was so strange, you know, because I've never seen an FTP service where you upload something and it disappears from the, you know, what? Where, what? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, once you know it happens, you can sort of work around it. But yeah. I'm glad it baffled you too. So I mm-hmm. I still don't see where humans are really intervening much after after the initial review and the copy and paste into into Airtable of the of the metadata about the file. A lot of this smells real automatic. Yeah, well, that's the that's the. I mean, ideally, what I'd like to do is just press a button once it's been validated. Press a button and have the whole thing done, you know, automatically because a lot of some of it is very repetitive you know the copy and paste repetitive we don't really want people doing that the the main yeah. thing the post production people will review the file after the export and jf will uh, rob will review it at the final sign off and then jf um will review the captions at the very end so you know there are places throughout the process where people need to sit down and actually sit down and watch the video and make sure that that's okay but everything else is is you know it can be automated so there's no reason why it shouldn't be really so they get all that learning and get paid for it that sounds like a good gig. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't afford a, uh, a Screencast Online subscription, you can have Don pay you to do it. No, he didn't say that. I did. <laughs> it's true, though. No, 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 no. And they get to see things early as well, which is, you know, right, ahead of the right. group. Yeah. Right. I know JF often says, oh, I'm excited about this topic you're doing. I get to learn this now. So that's, yeah. that's kind of fun. Well, that's one of the nice things with me taking a step back and not producing all the content. You know, it is nice to actually watch other people, you know, do their stuff and, and, and learn things, you know, because it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's nice to be on the other end, on the receiving end rather than, you know, developing the content and, and, and delivering the content. Yeah, I do find I'm a little disappointed when I look at Screencast Online and I'm excited about the new video coming out and I go, oh, well, that one's mine. I already know that. I want something <laughs> new. But I, I do want to compliment you on the, the variety. Um, you know, there's some of us who really like photography apps. There's people who like uh, productivity apps. There's people who are into the process. Some people are, are more about like mindfulness apps, things like that. Mm-hmm. So you get, you definitely get a real variety and you're not, uh, you're not stuck on, oh, and then there's the Excel, the Excel ones. Those are good. Um, so there, it's a variety of voices and a variety of, of, um, of accents, which I think is fun too. I, you of of course have a spectacular accent, great voice. Uh, and now we've got people with all different accents. So you don't really mm-hmm. know whether, what you're going to get, but you know that it's going to be high quality video. I think, uh, you know, the, yeah, that's, the that's the main thing good. really. Yeah. We, we've, we've sort of built up a, rep, a reputation over the past couple of years, well, more than a couple of years, as, as you know, but uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we need to keep the quality up there and need to keep it regular. And I mean, we do revisit topics as well. You know, one of the good things is there are certain staple applications that, that people use a lot and I use a lot and you know, you're constantly getting updates to them. So it's a, it's a fine balance of, of bringing in new stuff, but also revisiting previous stuff. So we've, we've tried to rather than just refer people back to, to old versions of shows and just do an update. We, we've tried to do a few foundation shows whereby we'll go back to the beginning on a uh, particular application yeah. so to start from scratch because that can be a pain you know if say i'll go back to show you know 237 and then 432 and then this is the update well people don't, don't have the time to do that so we, we we have introduced some like more foundation level shows whereby we'll take a popular app and we'll, we'll start again from scratch i really really like that because a lot of times it's an app that i meant to go learn to use and i watched mm-hmm. it back then but it's like oh it's so far back i don't want to go back and watch that one and it, and it can be distracting when the interface yeah. looks different too That's even right. if it's yeah. just you know aqua going to this so you've you've actually started to archive shows to make room for the new version so people don't accidentally watch the old one is that right 
Um, well, they're, they're not strictly archived. We did we did actually start hiding them, and, and people complained because they couldn't find them because they did actually want to go back and see them. So we we didn't we didn't take them down, but we just sort of made it a bit more difficult for them to appear and not to appear in the standard search list. But uh, by popular demand, we've reintroduced that. So you'll find that if something more than three or four years old, there'll be a label on it, just just pointing out that uh, you know it's a fairly old show and it might have been superseded. Yeah. So, in fact, I have a request into you that you probably haven't gotten a chance to see yet for one of those where I, I looked up to see if somebody had done it recently. And the show does exist, but it's been archived. So I was able to see that it was there and I could watch it if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But to be able to take a fresh look at it now, you know, five years later, six years later, yeah, that, yeah. That, that matters, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Well, I, you can tell I'm a fan, Don, and I I, I do love – I'm going to tell you something and embarrass you here is that one of the things no, I find on. entertaining about working for Don is that uh, – no, it's not going to be a compliment um, – is, <laughs> is, is that I, I'm never bored working for you because I go in and go, oh, look, this has all been changed. There's a, there's a new way of doing this. This moves over here. This has gone over here. This has been automated in this way. But it's it's fun. It's interesting it, it, because we're all into this tech. It, it's interesting mm-hmm. to to see the uh, the automations that you're doing. So I, I like it. Yeah, no, it, it's good. And, you know, I like changing it around as well. And I've I found, especially with the the, the, the Podio thing and, and the, the Globy Flow, which is a companion. Wait, um, Flow? Globy Flow, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Flow? That, that just takes the standard automation within Podio or Podio and sort of cranks it up a gear. So there's there's some more features that you can use with this uh, Globy Flow system. So, again, it's owned by Citrix. It's part of the same suite of package um yes yeah, sort of suite of applications but it, it's just like um automation you know turbocharged for uh for, for podio okay. so you know as I'm, as I'm sort of playing with these things and get more experience it's it's quicker for me to make changes uh and to make changes that don't break things because that was always a problem in the past you know it's it's such a initially such a a difficult application to get your head around that it used to take me ages just to make one simple little change. Whereas now I can go in and be fairly confident that I can make a change and make things, make the process flow, uh, work without breaking it. Basically. The whole thing won't explode. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't want it to explode when it's, when, you know, when you've got people, you know, it's a team of people working for you, you don't want to start sending invalid emails out or breaking links and things. So. Right. Right. I finished recording with Don, and after I did, he pointed out that I forgot the main reason I had him come on the show today. So we're going to cut back into the recording we did after we closed out, and then out of order, I will then play the closeout of the show. Okay, so I know I I turned off the recorder here, but I totally forgot the whole point of having Don on was the biggest, coolest new thing that he did with, with Screencast Online. And uh, why don't you why don't you take us off to what uh, what you just finished doing? Um, yeah, well, th- one of the issues has been with, with running all these scripts and everything is is trying to make sure that everyone's Mac is up to date with the right software and the right versions, etc. And you know, some people have uh, less powerful Macs than others, and uh, bandwidth can be an issue sometimes. So what I decided to do, we've just taken on two two new chaps to uh, do some of the post production side of things, and I wanted to find an easy way to again standardize it so that I didn't have to worry about 
building their Macs or getting them to install additional software. So I thought I would try one of these um, uh, co-location or hosting services, um, specifically Mac Stadium. So I, for a month or two, I, I've rented a, a Mac Mini over at uh, Mac Stadium and set that up as like a production machine so that people can uh, log into that machine and run the scripts from there. So I only have to worry about one machine and all the scripts are configured to run specifically on that machine. And it seems to be working out. They've got a fantastic bandwidth. It's like a gigabit uh, Ethernet connection to the Mac Mini. So the speed of, uh, of downloading and uploading stuff is, is, is fantastic. Uh, the Mac Mini itself, it's not a particularly powerful Mac Mini, but it's fast enough to do the encoding that we want. And it seems to be working. We've got like four different accounts set up on there. So using Jump Desktop to access, uh, using this fluid desktop uh, mechanism they have now. So people can remotely log into the Mac Mini uh, into their own um, user account, and they can run scripts within that user account and uh, yeah, it seems to be working fine. It's only been Let up and running you, for about three or four weeks. Let me ask you, did you learn about Jump Desktop when you saw my video tutorial on Screencast Online about it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just say yes. Just say yes. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um, to be honest, it was, um, I was amazed to find it part of the setup thing. So, you know, that's great. We use yeah. setup a lot. There's lots of applications in setup that we use. So, uh, yeah, no, that's I've got a few... So a few pointers from that. The advantage you said was having uh, a Mac Mini that you're renting there is you have a consistency of the hardware for whoever is doing the post-production that day? Yeah, yeah. And they can do it from anywhere. So again, I could do it from, I mean, I could you know remotely log into my Mac, but you're always constrained by the bandwidth between your local Mac and wherever you are. Whereas with this being on a, you know, an industrial level uh, data center with 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 really good bandwidth, I can should be able to get into it from anywhere and do uh, any of the post production side of it from that point on. Um, but it's just and also we're not. I mean, one of the issues with people going to Catalina is that uh, there's just one small utility app that uh, won't run on Catalina. And uh, to be honest, that was the thing that sort of pushed me over. I said, right, I'm going to. So we're, we're still on you know an earlier version of Mac OS, but it's stable. It does exactly what we need. I don't have to worry about upgrading the machine. And, um, you know, it, sh it should run for quite a good while. However, saying that, though, because it has been so good, I, I, I had a Spur Mac Pro and a Spur Synology NAS. So I've just shipped that off to Mac Stadium. So we're actually going to get the Mac Pro installed. So that should uh, alleviate any performance issues, which we're not really having, to be honest, but it's a Spur machine. So they're going to co-locate the Mac Pro. And then we'll see what we can do with this uh, Synology 8-bay uh, Synology NAS. We'll, we'll host that over there as well and have a play with that. Possibly even, you know, sort of bypass Dropbox and uh, do our own uh, cloud syncing and, um, and oh, data, wow. data sharing. Wow. So they'll host a machine that you actually own. Yeah, yeah, basically. And it's cheaper than, than renting the Mac Mini from them because it's your machine. So, And, and they'll also provide the gig, gigabit um, Ethernet connection to both machines as well. Um, it's not fully commissioned. It, it's actually arrived. They only got it last week, so they're actually setting it up for me. Um, and then they will, you know, if I want them to, they will take an image of the Mac Mini and transfer that across to the Mac Pro so I don't have to rebuild the Mac Pro. They'll just rebuild the Mac Pro with the... Um, the software as is set up on the Mac Mini, and we should just be able to switch over, and, and then I'll stop renting the Mac Mini, and we'll just use the Mac Pro. Wow, that's that is really cool, and and they're willing to do the Synology stuff too. Yeah, they'll host the Synology. Um, I mean, basically, they, they goes into all their cabinets and they plug um, you know, network cable into it. They do need to configure the 
the internal network to support it, but they will just let you host it there as well. I think the one, the data center, I think they've got three data centers. Um, the one, they've got one in Dublin that won't do the NAS hosting, but the one in Atlanta, which is the one that I've used, they will do the, um, the, the NAS hosting. Again, I've not really tried that out. So that's a matter of sucking it and seeing, seeing, seeing what happens. But in theory, it should be a, a great solution. Wow, that is really cool. So you're still managing the Synology NAS. It's just like you've got the workstation sitting in your office except mm-hmm. it just isn't in your office, so yeah, you don't yeah, have that's, to see that's, it. Yeah, that's the idea. It should be over there. And they do provide a hands-on service, so if you need a, a physical reboot or something, you can, you know, they'll go around and kick the machine for you or whatever. Or you can reboot the, the Macs uh, remotely. Um, there's um, They give you a little dashboard with a you know hard reset button if you want to you know, completely reset the Mac and restart it from uh, back from cold. Oh, wow. That is that is really fascinating. Uh, you know, you, with the uh, the Mac Pro, if it was actually in operation, you might see a reduction in your electric bill. Well, you've yeah, got probably. solar anyway, but uh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's one of the old um, cylinder Mac Pros. So, as I oh, say, um, my, my daughter was using it, so she's uh, she's moved on to uh, and she's got a little laptop now. So it was just sitting in the corner. I thought, well, I may as well make some use of it. Yeah, right. Especially if it makes you not have to keep renting the Mac Mini. Well, mm-hmm. I'm glad we got back and did this extra five minutes because this was actually why I asked Tom to come on okay. when he told us about that. So uh, I appreciate you coming on and I will stitch this piece into the conversation where we left yeah. off. Yeah, no worries. All right. Thanks, Don. Cheers. Well, this has been cool. I like to see behind the curtain here, Don. This is mm-hmm. uh, this is fun. And I've got a, I've learned a couple of things I should do differently. I got to look into that way that you're uh, you're managing the Dropbox and copying files. Yeah. over. I got to do that. I got Chronosync. I should be able mm-hmm. to figure that out. That sounds like fun. And it's easier to make. Uh, they're not even partitions anymore. Right. You just make a new volume in, in yes, uh, Catalina right. mm-hmm. now. So, yeah, yeah, they can yeah. expand and contract, do whatever you want. So that, yeah. that I never wanted to make a full partition, but I could do that, especially right. on my new 16 inch MacBook Pro with four terabytes of disk. Ooh. <laughs> oh, have you got it yet? Coming Wednesday. Oh, very good. A day early. So, yeah, it should be fun. I'm All right, Don. Well, if people want to find screencasts online, where would they go? Uh, screencastonline.com. All right. That's and- the best place. Yep. Yep. That's, um, there are links. If you're not a member, there's information. You can have a look at the lists of shows that are available. Uh, you can have a look at the previews. Every show, you can watch every preview and, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, there's a seven day free trial. So, um, you can sign up for that. Let's see what you think. And what if they want to follow you? A, a way to contact you on social media or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter. I, I tend not to um, tweet as much as I used to. But yeah, you can find me as Don McAllister on Twitter, um, where I still sort of go on about Brexit a bit too much probably than people like to. But uh, yeah, you can find me on on uh, on Twitter. All right. Well, Don, this is a lot of fun. I enjoyed it and I learned a lot and I bet our audience did too. Thanks for coming okay, on the we'll, show. We'll have, to, we'll have to do part two and I can tell about the rest of this stuff as well. So Wait, this is only <laughs> half of it? Oh, there's a few more bits and pieces. I mean, the magazine itself is uh, putting that together as a whole um, ball of wax. But uh, no, 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 I'm only kidding. Um, yeah, oh no, there's plenty more stuff that we do. But no, this bit's been really good and, and thanks for inviting me on. It's always, always great to have a chat too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says Support the Show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. 
If you'd like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the No Castaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other No Castaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.